The Silver State is purple once again. So we've got Nevada's own dean of punditry. No, not Carrot Top. It's John Ralston of the Nevada Independent to give us the lowdown on the November election. You've probably seen John waxing political on CNN, the PBS NewsHour, NBC News, The Washington Post, or countless other national outlets as the whole country looks at races in our home state. But today on CityCast Las Vegas, we asked John to go where no out-of-state media outlet has asked him to go before. It gets wild as we get him to get real deal about voter registration trends, explain the gears and levers of the so-called Harry Reid machine, and reveal his real feels about Republican leadership in Nevada. It's Monday, October 24th, 2022. I'm David Figler, and this is CityCast Las Vegas. I know it is your busy season and everybody wants a piece of John Ralston to, I don't know, pontificate, prognosticate, uh, figure out what's going to happen in the upcoming election. So, John Ralston, I appreciate you coming on CityCast Las Vegas. Thanks so much, man. Nice to be with you, David. So I want to just jump into it. Last September, the Nevada Indy reported that non-major party voters now make up the plurality of registered Nevada voters for the first time in state history. Are are the parties losing support in general? Well, that, that, that has been a phenomenon that's been occurring uh, for a long time, both here and in other places, David. But I, I, as you mentioned, this is unprecedented. You've got about 680,000 voters out of the 1.8 million who are now not affiliated with either the Democratic or Republican Party. Now, people want to read a lot into that old whole party's brand is hurting and, and people are fleeing. A lot of this, though, maybe as much as two-thirds of, of the explosion in non-major party voters, independent voters, is because the DMV defaults you to nonpartisan if you don't choose a party when you oh. go and renew your license. So okay. who are these people? Do they even know they're registered? Do they want to vote? It makes the challenge for uh, the parties much more difficult, for campaigns much more difficult with this many voters, and they're more amorphous than the usual base voters. But much more importantly, David, it makes it much harder to predict elections for pundits. Well, I'm curious about, and I appreciate the caveat here, I didn't know about the DMV thing, that's really interesting, but um, with all these independents, nonpartisan, others than Dems and Republicans, is there a possibility in Nevada that the these folks might form their own power structure, or is it always going to remain a choose-a-side forever in Nevada, Dem or, or GOP? Uh, it's a good question. Uh, Mark Melman, the well-known Democratic pollster who's done work for us and done a lot of work in the state, he was Harry Reid's pollster uh, for quite some time, once said to me when I asked him about the, the independent cohort, the nonpartisan cohort, John, there's no such thing as an independent. Uh, that huh. is, that for whatever reason, these are Republicans or Democrats or leaning Republican, leaning Democrats who've decided they either just don't want to be identified with either party got disgusted with the party for one issue or another, but they're still generally going to be voting one way or another. And again, it's the skill with which campaigns and parties and operatives know which is which that's going to determine this election. 
because it's come up a, a lot as we're headed right into election. I have a bunch of questions about the Harry Reid machine. Is it like the Transformers? Is it like a Willy Wonka gobstopper? I want to get into it. So why don't we start with the, the most simple question? What is the Harry Reid machine? In other words, how do you explain it to Nevada newcomers of its component parts? Uh, do, do I have to use Transformers or Willy Wonka imagery to describe it? Or can I? I mean, only it? if you were going to do that ahead of time. That was just, <laughs> you know, I, I'm envisioning that. But uh, disprove me. Uh, well, there are people who are skeptical that a Harry Reid machine ever existed or, or, or uh, are skeptical of its efficacy. And, and I chuckle about that because, as you know, David, I have no life and I follow all these numbers and all of this stuff 24-7. I, I can tell you the Reid machine exists. And let me tell you what it is. When Harry Reid, may rest in peace, uh, was alive, he essentially built an infrastructure that, uh, and he was able to raise the money through his powerful position. I call it creating a legalized money laundering operation through the Democratic Party, which has different rules for fundraising than a candidate might have when there's stricter limits. So they put all of these millions of dollars through the state party and then would be able to register a lot of voters, especially on the on years and election cycles, and then be able to pay for a get out the vote operation and build a firewall in Clark County, where most of the Democrats are in the state, that was impenetrable by election day by the Republicans. That was a real phenomenon. I tracked it. I was able to predict in many cases, David, before election day even came, who would win races, especially at the top of the ticket because of that firewall that had been built up by the Reed machine. There's only one cycle since 2008 that the Reed machine didn't work. And that was in 2014 when they made it. Sure, the red wave. Yeah. yeah. And not just, it wasn't just that there was a red wave, but they made it worse by not having a gubernatorial candidate to go against Brian Sandoval, making the calculation that would drive down Republican turnout. Uh, only one word for that. Whoops. Uh, yeah. And so th they got crushed. But every other cycle, David, it has worked uh, and, and created a firewall in Clark County that the Republicans have not been able to overcome in rural Nevada and Washoe County. Was there a single person or group entrusted in keeping that machine running once Harry was gone? And who is that or them? Well, the person who has been essentially orchestrating the Reed machine uh, since it began is a woman most people have never heard of by the name of Rebecca Lamb, who was a field operative who came here from Missouri when, when Reed tried to remake the Democratic Party that he thought had fallen apart. Uh, she is the ultimate authority on all of this. But even though she is a very, very talented operative, maybe the most talented one uh, that I've met in this category, she has brought in uh, some tremendously talented young people. And she understands the state, too, and, and, and where the votes are and where they are and how to get people registered and how to get people out to vote. And I will say, since we are in 2022 and, and, and we need to talk about what's going to happen with the Reed machine in the post-Reed era, so to speak, uh, uh, this is going to be their biggest test ever. More headwinds uh, than ever before. It looks like the Republicans have a lot of momentum all across the country and in Nevada. Races that shouldn't be close are close. And so we're going to find out. Uh, I think people who are saying, oh, the Reed machine is faltering. It's not going to be able to do what it, what, what it used to do may be right, David, but there's no real data to back that up until early voting starts and mail ballots start coming back. And we can see if that firewall is building 
in Clark County. It's more difficult this time, as I alluded to earlier, because of all of those independent voters who are now the plurality in Clark County as well. And so who are these people? Let's see what their turnout is like compared to Republicans and Democrats. So what what is Ms. Lamb doing? Is she here physically in the state of Nevada? Is there like a building that says Reed Machine or alludes to something? How does it work? How does it physically work? Well, it's like one of those James Bond movies, David. You've got to get in an elevator and then suddenly you go down 2,000 feet below the surface of the earth. And that's where Rebecca Lamb's lair is. No, but seriously, yes, she's in state. She's been in the state for quite some time. And she is now kind of on the outside. She used to be, you know, working actually with the party or or directly for Reed. That That's not true anymore because, as you may recall, the Democratic Socialists took over the party. And so Rebecca Lamb and her minions essentially said, uh, all right, we are not going to take our chance with these amateurs, pulled all the money out of the party and, and set up something called Nevada Democratic Victory, which is kind of a parallel organization, and then okay. created, turned the water. County Party into the legalized money laundering operation <laughs> that I referred to earlier. They will say to me and uh, uh, this cycle, listen, the organization is the same. The machine was built a long time ago. It's still there. And we have been able to raise the money even without Harry Reid's help to make this make this machine work. But there are tremendous. I mean, this is imagine this is, you know, your uh, Volkswagen Beetle trying to drive up Mount Everest. I, I mean, that is the task that they are confronted with uh, because of the atmospherics, Joe Biden's numbers. It's a midterm election, uh, low, low turnout. And what people may or may not know, Republicans always turn out in greater percentage numbers uh, than Democrats do. And even in the big sweep years here for the Democrats, the only reason they did so well is because they built up that registration advantage. So a few points in the in the Republicans' favor in percentage, it was 69-65 Republicans' percentage uh, of turnout in the last midterm election. That's wiped out by the registration advantage. Right. And overall, we have to remember that Nevada doesn't really fare well when it comes to Overall voter turnout, the percentage of registered voters who come and actually cast their ballots were pretty paltry when it comes to that. We're even by United States standards. Exactly. We are always near the bottom. And that is very distressing. And you and I could talk for hours, only you and me over some drinks about what what it is about Nevada that causes that low turnout and the demographics and the the culture that doesn't exist, uh, that should exist. But that's another podcast, I think. Yeah, no. And and something uh, I look forward to that and the cocktails after the election, looking back and, and seeing if that happened again, which it will. Yes. Now, you also mentioned in that last response to Democratic Socialists of America, or the DSA. In the wake of Harry Reid's death, how do you explain the rise of the unabashedly liberal wing of Nevada politics in those official state party organizations over the more moderate old school Nevada Dems of which Harry Reid was certainly the standard bearer? Yeah, it's a good question. And and this is another thing that I think a lot of people who are normal human beings and don't follow this stuff really closely don't really get. The people who comprise what are called the central committees that run the party, the the, the Democratic Party or the Republican Party, are not necessarily representative of the entire party. There's a complicated system of going through precincts and then county county meetings and then to the state meeting to take over these the state central committee and therefore have the votes to elect people to the executive board and as chairman of the party. 
Since the advent of Bernie Sanders in the Democratic Party, he has his uh, acolytes have been very, very smart about organizing. You may remember that in 2016, they, they organized very, very well at the county level, but then didn't follow through enough at the state level. The Sanders people learned from that and decided that they were going to systematically take over the party. And that is exactly what happened. And that is why Bernie did so well in the caucus here as well, because caucuses are organizing drives in a way that primaries are not. And so he crushed everybody in the last caucus here. And by when I say last caucus, I mean the last caucus we will ever see here because they right. changed it. You did a lot of reporting and a lot of commenting on that in real time, that takeover of the Democratic Party, if you will, uh, in its official capacity by the DSA. Some of the comments that you had made were not particularly favorable. You and others were basically saying, well, they know how to get in there. They don't know how to run things. Did it turn out as bad as, I'm going to use the P word, pundits like yourself suggested? It's funny you mention that. Steve Wynn once asked me, like, what the hell is a pundit, John? <laughs> pundit to me signifies just some big fat guy sitting around making uh, pontifications. And, you know, I plead guilty. So the, the, <laughs> bottom, the bottom line, uh, David, is some of this is hypothetical. Like, what if uh, the, the, the Reed machine folks had not pulled out that all that money out of the Democratic Party and these amateurs, and they are amateurs, and I don't necessarily mean it in a pejorative way here, but they were amateurs coming in to run this party. Could they have done more with that money? Now, they got a lot of money. Bernie and AOC helped them raise some money. But here's what happens, David, and this is the most frustrating thing. And, and I've met tons of people on central committees and in politics who really care about electing good candidates who have fixed principles on whatever it is, affordable housing, better health care, helping poor people in general. There are people like that, but then there are too many people who see these as just ways to cause trouble or have, mm -hmm. have a nice social gathering with their friends, and they don't want to affect change. And so I, you could, I could go on a rant all day on this, but I won't. But my feeling has always been covering politics for this long, David, is the parties, I don't care if you're Democratic Party, Republican Party, their goal should be to elect candidates, not to come and squabble with each other about platform item number 10C, subsection one, and a few words that are out of place. That's what happens. So let's shift focus from the Dems to the Republicans a little bit. In the Nevada GOP, is there a Michael McDonald machine? And what does that look like? Michael McDonald is the chairman of the Republican Party, for those of your listeners who are not lucky enough to know that little fact. Um, so generally, if you can think of, if you believe me that the Reed machine is this uh, a well-oiled, uh, a very efficient machine, whatever the opposite of that is, is what the Republican Party has been for many, many years, maybe a Rube Goldberg machine. But no, the, the Republicans for many, many years just had no idea what to do in terms of registering their voters and getting them to the polls. Now, they have some advantages. And as I mentioned earlier, Republicans generally turn out in greater numbers, they're they're more likely to turn out. Democrats have a much tougher job in, 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 in getting their voters to the polls for a variety of different reasons, uh, although they do have some built-in advantages like the culinary union, which helps them organize and is no small number at 50 or 60,000. But Michael McDonald, who was the chairman of the Republican Party, has no idea how to organize. That's not his background. He's never hired anybody who, who knows how to organize. So whatever organization the Republicans have done 
and they've gotten better and better the last few cycles, I should say, David, come from the outside, come from organizations erected by consultants or by Republicans who actually care about winning, as opposed to what I alluded to earlier. And you also alluded to and and have written extensively about tensions between the Nevada GOP and individuals in the party who have been pushing back on this uh, concept of Trump fealty, right? Thinking specifically of Barbara Sagaski and some of the Republicans who have publicly endorsed Democrats. So are are those rifts more than personality-driven one-offs? In other words, does the divide amount to real trouble for the Republicans in Nevada that will show up or not show up at the polls this cycle? I guess we're going to find out in the first or second week in November, or maybe long after that, after all the lawsuits have been settled that are inevitably filed. Listen, this these are not one-offs in the sense that I think there are very principled Republicans who are disgusted, not just with their party becoming a cult and worshiping a guy who is a, a sociopathic and mendacious personality who has been able to persuade so many people that the election was stolen. And, and but what do you I, really think, John, about President Trump? Okay, well, moving on. To, Go ahead. Was I supposed to holster my opinions for this podcast? I guess I should have looked at that contract I signed with you. My favorite uh, journalist, John <laughs> Ralston. Okay, so please continue. I'm sorry. I mean, and I'm serious about this, and it get into a whole other discussion. I know we probably don't have the time for it, but this has caused incredible damage to the Republican Party, uh, David. And I, I think any American, whether you're a Democrat or Republican or a nonpartisan, thinks there should be two robust political parties guided by ideas as opposed to demagogues. Uh, And so it's very destructive to that. But this whole notion that 70 percent of the Republicans think the election was stolen, that you have Mm. election deniers up and down the ticket running for important offices and and including running elections, (laughs) including running elections. I mean, our you know, the Republican candidate for secretary of state here has become a national figure for all the wrong reasons because he's so uh, living on another planet. David, this is really dangerous for, for, for anybody who cares about democracy and cares about if you don't believe that your vote matters, that we have elected the people who have the most votes, then the whole thing falls apart. I, I know it sounds melodramatic, but I really believe that we're not far from that. Okay. We're at the end of this conversation, though I think we both would love to go on forever. So uh, I will I will look into some of the new downtown bars and, and find a good spot for us. But I did want to follow up with one or two quick final questions. People are pushing you all over the country on this question, but we're friends. I'm going to ask you, who is absolutely going to win in November 2022 in Nevada? I don't usually say this, David, and usually I can name two or three off the top of my head. Uh, there aren't any. Uh, things are just way too up in there. That's that's how much uncertainty I believe uh, there was out there was out there up and down the ticket. I'll give you one. A guy that I know you are eager to go and vote for, and I'm telling you, he is going to win with with 100% metaphysical certitude, and that is the DA, Steve Wilson. <laughs> right. Um, he isn't necessarily in as hotly a uh, contested or a race. You asked me a simple question. I gave you yeah, a no, I got counselor. It. it was a responsive answer, too. All right. I'm going to come at it from a different angle of the current incumbents. Who is positioned to be the least likely to lose? In other words, if this person loses, then probably all the rest do. So who who would be best positioned to be the least likely to lose amongst incumbents? 
You know, one thing we haven't touched on, but and maybe I can answer the question by naming uh, someone in this category. We, we're one of the few states in the country that has three of our four House seats. 75% of our House seats are essentially toss-ups. And, and Dina Titus would have been a name that I would have put out there right away uh, for someone who was obviously going to be reelected. Now, her district changed through redistricting, and she used qu- quite some colorful language. To colorful describe- language, yes. yes. Salty, <laughs> salty language. Salty language to describe what had happened to her at the hands of her own party. Uh, if Dina Titus loses, uh, you are probably going to see serious carnage up and down the ballot uh, for the Democrats. Um, listen, all three of those Democrats, Susie Lee, Stephen Horsford, and Dina Titus, are favored in those races, I think, but they could all lose. Dina Titus is the canary with a southern accent in the coal mine? Indeed. That is good. That that works. I, I won't ask you to imitate what a canary with a southern accent sounds like, but I like the image of that. Well, toit, toit, y'all. That's my Dina Titus as a canary in the coal mine. What's all this coal doing here? We need some clean energy. (laughs) Um, Not a good Dina Titus, but uh, a great conversation. Nonetheless, John Ralston, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're way in demand, and I appreciate you giving a little time here to CityCast Las Vegas, and we'd love to have you back again. David, I really enjoyed it, my friend. Let's do it soon. Okay, y'all, it's time for a little news before you go. Looking ahead this week, accused murderer Robert Tellis will be arraigned in district court on Wednesday where he'll enter his plea. The former county official was indicted last week in the murder of reporter Jeff Gehrman. It's likely to be the first time we hear the actual words not guilty from his mouth, and then a jury trial date will be set. Things are heating up in Henderson, where city and police officials have been accused of not being forthcoming about a rise in crime. Emails from a Henderson police analyst seem to indicate a startling 91% increase in robberies there, and now at least one candidate for Henderson City Council is calling for increased transparency. Before we go, we'd like to share a text message from listener Liz Bash. It's actually a message from August that we accidentally missed. It's about our episode memorializing Pastor Bonnie Polly. Liz grew up going to camp with Bonnie's sons Seth, Zach, and Matt, and wrote in to say, She never failed to have something positive and uplifting to say, even in times of great sadness. She was a remarkable woman, and she will be missed greatly. Thanks for your message, Liz. I obviously feel the same. If you too would like to text or leave us a voicemail, our number is 702-514-0719. Well, that's all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. Did you enjoy the show? Learn something new about the Willy Wonka read machine or our state's party politics? Well, share this episode with a friend and help them get smarter too. Then make sure you're both following the show and throw in a few stars for us while you're at it. Don't forget to also subscribe to our amazing morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Talk soon. Sorry, ambulance doing a rare drive by my house. Oh, I was wondering what you're doing if you were looking for divine guidance or, or what.